You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. There are a touch tones. That is the cue to join us for the Street Talk segment here on Real Presence Live. 877-795-0122 is the toll-free number that you can call. You can also leave a message uh, or a question on our uh, Facebook page for Real Presence Radio. So, Father Gross, you know, we love to hear from people, and hopefully the, the boards will light up. I see we have a, a caller waiting, so we'll get to that in a second. Just kind of wanted to prime the pump a little bit for listeners. So today is actually the 100th anniversary of the birth of Mother Angelica. So uh, apart from her, uh, we wouldn't probably be on air right now in this radio station. A revolutionary uh, person with regard to not just uh, Catholic media, but um, yeah, a, a way of uh, repurposing radio in, in a religious format that really, ca- um, really caters to Catholic listeners. Mother Angelica, born Rita Rizzo in uh, Canton, Ohio, had a, a pretty um, uh, rough and tumble childhood. And I think the definitive biography that many people are, are familiar with is from an EWTN host, Raymond Arroyo, Mother Angelica, um, the remarkable story of a nun and her, I, I can't, <laughs> I'd have to increase the, the font in order to get the, uh, the whole, the whole um, uh, s- subtitle for that book. But that was published quite a few years ago, I think, uh, per, um, perhaps well before, uh, well before Mother passed away. Um, and uh, uh, one of the particular parts that uh, I remember well from that book um, I was uh, we were in the, we were in the seminary in much of the the 1990s, and I had the privilege of being part of our delegation from our diocese to Denver for World Youth Day in 1993, and there were a couple of executive decisions regarding certain events at that um, uh, World Youth Day uh, through the archdiocese. I think the Stations of the Cross in terms of casting a woman and, and the Christ figure, you know, various things like that, and um, Mother Angelica got on the air the following day and issued just a blistering diatribe. You know, I, th- I think one of the quotes was, I am so tired of you liberal church in America, you know, etc. And and so she, I think, was introducing herself to a lot of people who prior to that time didn't have cable or maybe didn't even know that that was a channel was an option on their cable service. It's like, whoa, what's this, you know, what's this lady talking about and what she got her, you know, um, yeah, her, her veil in, in a bunch about you know, about all of the various things happening here. And uh, that outspoken nature, that boldness, really was something that uh, uh, captivated a lot of people's imagination and filled a gap that very, very few people you know, had been uh, filling at the time. That's, yeah, that's a powerful memory there. The, uh, I'd like to, you know, she's always going to be associated with me because uh, for a number of reasons, but one is that she died right when my mom died. And so that's always connected ah. with me in a personal way. But, but I, would, um, I would challenge those who are listening, if you have a favorite story about Mother Angelica or some way that you were inspired by her, please call in and share those stories uh, with us. Also, we're in the, the time of the resurrection and our own Bishop, Bishop Folda, uh, just this past week, week with us priests, he, he gave us a very strong homily challenging us to be bold and to have courage.
message and to proclaim uh, the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. And so if anybody has a story where they've been bold and they've, they heard the, the Lord prompting them or had courage to have an encounter with another and boldly proclaim the resurrection of Christ, we'd love to hear those inspiring stories from you. Um, so please call in and share your faith with us or questions or challenges. Uh, 877-795-0122. And now that we've stoked the boiler, we do want to turn to somebody whom we have on the line. Christy, welcome to Real Presence Live. Hi, good morning. Hi there. You have a, Hi. You, what's, so, what's your question for us today? Yeah, so I heard that you have your catechism out. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and it, <laughs> so um, I do know that the catechism tells us that, we, that parents are meant to be the primary educators of our children. Certainly. And we are we are a homeschooling family, so full disclosure, but I I believe that that is fulfilling our role to be the primary educator of our children. And I want to know why the church our diocese or the church as a whole doesn't support homeschooling more, actively support it versus actively supporting a Catholic school. Because it seems like sending our kids away from home all day enables parents to not be the primary educators of our children. Thank you so much for that for that question. I want to begin by giving just a little bit of a historical context, because when you look at the model of Catholic education, especially in the primary and secondary level in the United States in the early 1800s, keep in mind the limited resources that a lot of places had, that many Catholics were recently arrived immigrants, and um, the, the public schools did a lot of, um, even if it wasn't uh, directly intentional, uh, proselytizing on the part of Protestantism, and uh, it was a way to provide um, an, an increase in identity yeah, of their Catholic identity, and a way of assisting families who had a lot of burdens just to you know find work, put food on the table, take care of their kids, and maybe didn't feel that they were in a position where they could adequately provide uh, education in the home. So you have that model that was uh, that was uh, strongly established and helped in, in a lot of those ways. Now, in many parts of our listening area. In 2023, there are a lot of different options available than there would have been in 1873 or 1923, especially with regard to homeschooling. There are a lot of resources that parents can draw from in terms of the materials that they use, where they say, okay, I don't have to invent the wheel here. I can work with a group, and, and it's sort of a virtual community. There may be people in that same town, or let's say if you live in a rural area where the closest Catholic school is an hour or two away. It just isn't, a, you know, a feasible option. So, you know, there are a lot of those factors that weigh into how this happens. You know, what a what what, what a pastor in a parish in Grand Forks or Duluth would say, you know, might be different than what a pastor in many other places would say. You know, and 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 because uh, a priest will say something specific, it seems like it might be, you know, the official party line. You might say in the church, but where they are kind of affects. Uh, you know, affects that too. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Christy, I can really appreciate your, uh, your your question here, especially you know, starting in a beautiful place like um, from baptism, where from the very moment of baptism, the church declares the parents are the primary educators. And uh, myself, as a priest, I've been very involved with uh, families and 
people and individuals who have chosen the route of, of homeschooling and so forth, and even my own relatives are, are involved with this. So, um, man, I, I am inspired and, and uh, truly motivated by parents who make incredible sacrifices to choose the homeschooling route and, and what they do. And, and I've, I've just seen incredible fruit from that, whether from uh, solid Christians coming forth from that, uh, solid Catholics, uh, vocations to the priesthood, vocations to religious life, solid marriage formation that has come out of that in future families. Um, definitely um, uh, families who, marriages who have chosen to be fruitful, you know, in the Lord. And, and, and so I just, I, I can't say enough about that. I, I can also, Christy, I can identify like, um, I know a number of people in the, in the homeschool movement who are convicted by that were at times they have experienced maybe persecution from what they feel like from the Catholic Church or from the Catholics or say we priests or uh, those in charge. And I think sometimes it comes across that, uh, you know, maybe people in the church feel, especially who are trying to support Catholic education, Catholic schooling, uh, they almost they almost see like um, Catholic homeschooling as maybe like the enemy, like they're, they're draining resources away or money away. Or on a financial on perspective, a financial kind of an adversarial to, to, sort of to thing. To support yeah. the Catholic school system. And so I, I know myself as a priest I've worked really really hard to build those bridges and to realize and help people understand look we're on the same team we're on the same team we're, we're not enemies here and I know like I know even one in one situation where a mom started a this kind of really difficult painful story she she was isolated um, she there's a local Catholic school which is pretty strong and they she was kind of treated badly by the local pastor because her number of children they were homeschooling and they were always kind of tease like why aren't you supporting catholic schooling so she started a, a catholic homeschool network and it was all protestants who joined and it was these protestants who came in because they were homeschooling and she was the only catholic one she started this group and eventually the the protestants who were majority in the homeschooling support group they voted her out because they had an anti-catholic bias within their uh, their flavor so she ended up being she felt ostracized by the local catholic school and priest and by the Protestant friends and even though she was the one who started. So I know there there can be a lot, an experience of suffering out there when choosing the homeschooling route and from, even from within the church. And so mm -hmm. I just, ma I make an appeal to, to all of us. Like I have seen such beautiful things where homeschooling families have cooperated with local Catholic schools for, in different areas like theater or extracurriculars, the uh, sports and things like that, that we're, and, and supporting the local church. I mean, we, I, I just appeal to everybody who's listening. We're not enemies. We're, we're all together in this and it's beautiful. It's building up the body of Christ. And I, I truly want to commend those parents who have made those sacrifices to, they've made tremendous sacrifices to raise their children that way and, and so forth. And, you know, I appeal to us priests and, and the hierarchy to, to realize, like, there is an incredible segment of the living body of Christ who do need to be supported and blessed by mm -hmm. we priests, by the hierarchy, and, and we should be together in this and not separated. Definitely. So, I think yeah. maybe just the last word is that um, it really isn't our place to begrudge an individual family who wants to protect their children from a lot of harmful influences, you know, in, in general, and that there, there there's room within, the, there's room in the house, you might say, for both the homeschooling option and, and the Catholic school option. A lot of that depends on, you know, uh, the, per, the particular locality. So thank you, Christy, for calling in, and uh, we look forward to hearing you again sometime. 
All right. Thank you. Very good. Thanks so much. A couple of other questions that have been submitted. Uh, these are not actual phone calls, but I think we should deal try to deal with these uh, relatively quickly here, Father Leffer. The first one, what does it actually mean to surrender things to God? Practically speaking, how do you do it? Uh, well, one of the first things that I would say about that is an idea that I often uh, think of and that I often hear people say is that if you are uh, denying your something, denying something of yourself that is not necessary. Maybe you know, like you're not going to put uh, ketchup on those French fries, or you know, you're not going to something like that. That is just um, kind of an indulgence or a convenience. That is a way of kind of getting us into the habit of making small sacrifices and stealing our nerve for something that could be larger. Yeah, and I so so kind of looking at this question, I, 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 it strikes me that you know we need to make a distinction so so like i'd say there there's like a there's a spiritual reality and then there's the actual physical or emotional psychological reality of surrender and i'd say as baptized christians as baptized catholics at, at the heart of everything we truly need to realize that Christ possesses us. When in our baptism, He possesses us, and and to have true freedom as a Christian, we need to agree with that judgment. And so, on a spiritual level, it's essential that we we literally like we surrender to Him our lives. We surrender to Him every, everything that we have. We, we give Him permission, Lord Jesus. This is Yours. Use it as You see fit. We we literally do things like surrender our marriage, surrender our children, surrender our business, surrender our car. You know, I'm speaking spiritually to have this identity that, oh, this isn't just mine. It isn't. This isn't just mine. But literally, I'm in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is in me. That this literally is an extension of the body of Christ, and we're only stewards, you know, for the time we're in this world, not ultimate owners. Yep. So, so it, the starting point there is to have the spiritual reality of surrender, and that's so very important to actually have a living Christian faith. And then, then now, then you start doing an inventory of, well, okay, Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, what does that mean for the meal I'm eating today, or for the business that I'm doing, or for the actual, you know, number of children that I'm open to or raising to. I mean, so then you can take any category there. And like mm -hmm. you said, Father Gross, all the way from your little children, you start in little ways. Christ said, if you're faithful in little ways, you'll be faithful in bigger ways, mm -hmm. right? And, but it's having that, th it starts with that identity and realizing that God is not out to heart, uh, hurt or harm you. He's very generous, and the, the more generous you are, the more generous he will be with you. That really, I think, is the key there, just uh, opening our hearts to a greater sense of generosity on our own part and uh, the generosity with which God wants to deal with us. We do have someone who is on the line we'll get to in just a moment or two. I want to take another one of these um, questions that were submitted uh, uh, otherwise. And just as a reminder here, we're about halfway through our um, Straight Talk segment, 877-795-0122 is that number. And uh, do you have any book or speaker recommendations for a former Baptist who wants to dive deeper with heavy-hitting biblical theology, but with the passion of evangelical preaching? Two names immediately came to mind um, in terms of um, uh, writers. Uh, one of them is a gentleman by the name of David Curry, who wrote, C-U-R-R-I-E, who wrote, uh, this is quite a few years ago, a memoir entitled Born Fundamentalist, Born Again Catholic. 
I believe that's the title of it. And it's it's a really good witness from somebody who was in basically a position of ministerial leadership. Uh, of course, we could think of Dr. Scott Hahn as another person who is speaking from that first-person perspective of somebody who was in his youth and young adulthood convinced that Catholics were astray and they were getting it all wrong and then had to, you know, come to the reality of what was happening and, and to, to confront uh, those those um, misperceptions honestly. Another name that came to my mind, you know, you might say one of the uh, OGs for uh, um, for um, apologetics in the U.S., Carl Keating. I think he is a very reliable person. There are all sorts of different titles, um, you know, that, that speak about that specific dynamic about within the various professions of Christianity, what is it that really sets uh, uh, Catholicism apart and how to express that? So those are just a couple ideas that I had. Yeah, and, I mean, there's a whole list, and I'd say Patrick McDrid, he's another. Really, yes. Uh, Steve Ray, mm-hmm. he's another. And again, these are living guys who have tremendous resources out there. Catholic Answers, you know, just going to Catholic Answers. because I think that's Catholic.com. Yeah. Okay. And you'll, mm-hmm. you'll find mm-hmm. a whole host of resources. So, like, right. whoever this person is, I mean, they'll find their little niche. You, you will find it there. If literally, I mean, Google is your friend at this point. You, you put it in there and you'll, you'll find a host. But Father Gross, I know every one of those that you listed, I've listed, they've impacted our lives. Even, even though we aren't former Baptist ministers, mm-hmm. they, they have given right. us a perspective. And yeah. even how to be mm-hmm. ecumenical and speak to others who yeah. have... You know, and, and I think a, a generation ago, that uh, dynamic was perhaps more acute, where if you were a faithful young Catholic, what you were thinking of were the so-called holy rollers down the street, you know, the full gospel assembly, the assemblies of God, you know, various things like that. How do you reckon with the op- the objections that they would bring, you know, in, in a more of a post-Christian kind of uh, milieu that we're in now, it, it, it's not quite the same, but it's still important to be able to articulate um, well and to defend what we believe. Do you, do you remember there, there's those those um, pamphlets that were put out? I don't know if it was Patrick McTrid or something. There's a whole series of them. Anyway, they're very easy. I can't remember the name, yeah. but they're very easy. They're nice mm-hmm. put forward, and it's very right. easy access, and they reference. I, I think we would so. be we would be remiss if we didn't mention the Augustine Institute as another um, uh, organization that has done a lot of great work with regard to uh, helping give people resources. So um, we have on the line here a familiar voice. Francis is joining us from PZEC. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I don't know if it's going to be really a question or not, but um, over the last 20, 30 years, you know, you're seeing polls that uh, re- re- uh, religion isn't important for a lot of the young people. You know, about 30% believe in religion now. Uh, patriotism is gone. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of financial giving to charities gone, you know, because of that. Uh, I don't know how a person is going to turn that around, but... Uh, one thing, you know, you think about, like, last year is 2022, this year is 2023, next year is 2024, and that all has a significance, no matter if you're atheist or what other religion, uh, I guess, what's the significance of that, you know? I mean, the years, you know? I mean, after Christ, right? Oh, right, yeah, in terms of how we speak of human history, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, so no matter what religion you are, you're still writing down these years all the time, so it's basically that you're still having involved with Christ, you know? And, Certainly. But I don't know how you turn around this lack of 
religion mm-hmm. for the young people, you know, and volunteering and things like that. You know? Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah Francis, I, I totally agree with you. There, there definitely is a change in, in the culture and, and, and what surrounds us. And I, I guess what, what's coming to my mind right now is um, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, actually. He, he speaks about how there, there's certain debts in, in our life that we can never repay. And he, he identifies some of those very specifically. He, he says, for example, he says, number one, um, you, you can never repay God. For, for what God has done by giving us creation, giving us life. And, and, I mean, like Father Gross, you know, we've committed our lives to serve Christ and the church. And, but even if we become martyrs and die, we can never actually repay the debt that we owe to God for, for what he's given us. Another one that he identifies is, he says, your parents. You, you can ne- even if you are faithful, serve your parents your whole life and pour your life out to help them, assist them until they die, you can never repay the gift they've given you, and then and, and then he puts the next one is he puts your your country, your nation, your your fatherland, motherland. There's, there's a certain debt that's given to you because of that that you owe because of that. You, even if you give your life, say, in civil service or become a soldier, or you sacrifice your life in mm-hmm. serving your nation, you can never pay back the debt you owe. And he's and that's in that category. That's where he says patriotism comes from. Patriotism but, flows out of that that understanding <coughs> that relationship. And so I think in order for this to be turned around, or in, in order for this to come, it it really does it it. it there has to be a development of understanding and a, and a consciousness awaking that, wow, we're, we're in debt to God, we're in debt to our parents, we're mm-hmm. in debt to our nation. And, and even though you can never repay it, he talks there then about just gratitude. The, the proper response is giving thanks to God, giving a, you know, thank, a yeah. thankful sacrifice to God, giving thanks to your parents, a thankful sacrifice to your parents. And a thankful sacrifice to your nation mm-hmm. that it's appropriate, not as appropriate, but it's injustice. It's demanded of you. Right, right. Now, uh, Francis, it'll be interesting. A, a certain um, pastor in Walsh County is uh, going to be called upon uh, to um, speak to uh, delegates from the North Dakota Knights of Columbus as they have their state convention coming up here. And uh, when you think about the fourth degree of the Knights of Columbus, uh, the, the, the men with the suits and who provide the honor guards and things like that, the, um, the, the, the value uh, that is uh, attached to the fourth degree is of patriotism. Well, you might be thinking in a general sense, well, shouldn't it be something more you know, generic toward uh, the, the, the prior the values of charity, unity, fraternity? Well, the patriotism plank of it with the fourth degree of the Knights of Columbus, it'd be interesting to see how they, you know, explain that um, kind of that harmonious thing of, of patriotism and religion. So they're not coming at it as, you know, my country right or wrong, that sort of thing. What they're saying is a lot like the um, the text of the poem that was uh, turned into the lyrics of America the Beautiful by Catherine Lee Bates. Uh, o America, may God thy gold refine. Um, o mend thine every flaw. You know, those various statements as a way of talking about, you know, purifying what shouldn't belong in our country, but upholding the virtues that exist you know so i think that's an interesting uh dynamic thank you so much for the call we look forward to visiting with you again sometime francis okay thank you thank you very much a question came up here is it disrespectful to do homework in the chapel let's say if you're making a holy hour okay the correct answer to this is yes and no Okay, what I mean by that is, of course, there's always things that you could do in the chapel that could become disrespectful. Even you could even be praying and do something disrespectful. So, um, but the actual question about 
is just doing homework in the chapel disrespectful? My answer to that is I really hope and pray not because I was in the chapel prior to this program doing homework to make a good presentation this morning yeah. before the Lord speaking to him, asking him to be with me in it and so forth. Okay, but let, let's say like, so just general homework. See, I'm a high school student and I, and I go there, I'm doing homework. I, I, I don't, I don't think that's offensive unless you're in, you know, disturbing some other people or something. Now, maybe as part of your homework, if you need to watch YouTube videos and it's inappropriate content or something, okay, we, we've crossed the line there, right? I mean, so it's always about how am I acting and behaving before the Lord? But mm-hmm. I, would, I would say the Lord would be pleased with you if you came in, say you're, you're reading something for your class or something, and you, 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 know, you come before the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, be with me. In your presence as I'm reading this. You know, there's an interesting dynamic with that, too, I guess, when you think about our time as seminarians, because there were certain times where you'd want to spend, there are certain days where you want to spend time before the Lord, but there was really something of a theological nature that you had to read, but you could easily explain it as, well, if you're bringing this before Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, it is uh, kind of an act of service to him and not just, you know, benefiting oneself in terms of, okay, I've done this assignment, but I think it comes in to, you know, a lot of those other things. So where does it um, logically dovetail into a person's growth in their, in their spiritual lives? So that's, that's one particular thing here. Um, yes, uh, I was going to be visiting, I was going to be speaking briefly about something. We just have a couple of minutes left in this segment. I was going to be speaking about something regarding two movies in the theaters right now. Nancy from Jamestown has brought this uh, question concerning exorcism, or at least a demonic possession. Nefarious? And the Pope's exorcist. As a parent of teenagers, how do we appropriately address their interest in wanting to see these movies? I understand one is made by the director of the movie Unplanned, that's nefarious. The other starring Russell Crowe is quite sensationalized and more of a horror genre. That's exactly right. In fact, I did go and see the movie Nefarious. I, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the author of the movie that it's based on a gentleman from Iowa by the name of Steve Dace called a Nefarious Plot. That movie is um, rated R because of the subject matter, but it doesn't have anything gratuitous with regard to vulgarity, sexuality, kind of the gross out things that you might expect from the more conventional kind of prurient things that you would see, which I think is, you know, the Pope's exorcist, even though it is uh, said to be crediting uh, a lot of um, eyewitness testimony from Father Gabriel Amorth, you know, hence the name, the Pope's exorcist. Nefarious is, um, it's only about an hour and a half long, it feels almost like a one-act play because a lot of that movie take, takes place within the context of um, a conference room in a maximum security prison as a uh, gentleman is facing the day of his execution and a psychiatrist is trying to determine whether or not he is uh, uh, mentally sane and uh, the, the demon who is possessing the, uh, the, the inmate is um, bringing out various things and one of the ingenious things about that movie is the way that the the speaker um you know the the uh the the, the demon is is speaking toward things that are happening in the world um in a very honest way and is exposing the um uh the the blinders that a lot of people can put on their own lives in terms of why they choose to do what they do um it, it's very thoughtful that way so i would say 
Um, you know, definitely if you have a, a more mature teenager, you know, Nefarious is a movie to recommend. Uh, it doesn't have the same kinds of um, uh, sensationalism, action sorts of things that uh, they might be wanting, but that's also a good thing because it's going to spare them a lot of that imagery. But um, there was an article I want to refer you to in National Catholic Register. The author is John Clark with the title, Why All the Fascination with the Devil and Exorcism? I think you could be um, well served if you were to do an internet search and to find that article. I think that would serve you very well. So thanks so much for everybody's uh, questions in this Straight Talk segment. We didn't have to do a whole lot of heavy lifting here, Father Leffer. So at the top of the next hour, we'll be talking about upcoming events here on Real Presence Radio. And Real Presence Live will be coming back in just a few minutes. Please stay with us. (laughs) 